0: be in Romans chapter 12 today, Romans chapter 12. Told you last month we started a sermon series on gifts. We're going to look at several different uh, areas of gifts. Today we're going to look at the gift that I can offer. The gift that I can offer, the rest of the series will be on things from God. Last week we looked at where gifts come from, uh, and God being the giver of good gifts and and that fulfilling gift that he can offer. But today I want us to look at the gift that I can offer, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that word at the end, those two words, reasonable service, is always an intriguing, intriguing little phrase to me. But we see here, and this is a verse we've preached on before, and you've heard before, I'm sure, if you've been in church any a large amount of time, the importance here of the presenting of ourselves a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. God, thank you for letting us come. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us. And I pray that today I would clearly and correctly present your word. I pray that you'd help us, remind us this morning of the importance of what we give to you. And Lord, I pray that it would be a help and a challenge and an encouragement to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a pretty simple concept, it's a pretty basic uh, uh, sermon this morning with the idea of what we need to give to God. And that's ourselves, right? It's to give our heart, it's to give ourselves to God as a gift which is reasonable to do uh, in in return considering what God has given to us. Now, I could make this sermon five minutes, and some of you would be happy with that. I'm not going to, uh, but I could. Just, I'm just, I'm just kind of uh, uh, treating you with that today. I could make this sermon five minutes and say it pretty basically. Give yourself to God. Uh, would you, would you, have you heard that message before? And I'm sure you've heard it in, in 20 minutes. I'm sure you've heard it in an hour, depending on which churches you've been in. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very simple concept. Give yourself to God. But there are a couple things within this that hopefully will help us not only understand that we need to give ourselves to God, because I think we probably get that point. But the question is some of it is why, some of it is how, and then the other part is just a reminder of why it's important. Uh, So, first of all, this morning, I want us to understand that before we give anything materially to God, We have to give God our heart. Before we give anything materially to God, uh, giving of our tithes and our offerings, um, even giving of our time and our energy, before we do anything like that, we have to first give God our heart. That's what God desires the most from us. Uh, Will you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8? We're going to come back to Romans 12 uh, here in just a little bit, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is such a wonderful illustration and story of a church uh, specifically a church but of how we can give to God uh, what God desires for us to give second Corinthians uh, chapter eight and verse number five for though there be uh, that excuse me for though there be that are called gods whether in heaven or in earth as there are Gods many uh, and many and lords, many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, to whom all uh, to whom are all things. All right. So listen, we know that God is in control of everything. Correct, and we understand that God is the 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 owner of all. He needs nothing. Correct. He has all. The song. I um uh uh um. What, how's the song go? Owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every land, right? God has, oh, that's scripture, that's not just a song, but uh, God is the owner of everything. He uh, possesses all things. And because He possesses all things, He does not need anything from me. Does the church need money to exist? Yes, it has to pay the bills, has to pay the mortgage, has to pay the electricity, the water, the so on and the so forth. So, in that sense, yes, the church needs money to exist. Does God need money to make His church exist? No, He does not. Why? Because God already has money. God has everything. He doesn't need anything. Do I need money to, to live? Yes, I do. I need to buy food. I need to buy clothes. I need to pay for housing. All those sorts of things. Does God need money? To help me exist. No, he does not. Why? Because he already has everything. God can provide. And God does provide, right? God provides through uh, a job, through employment. God provides finances for your family. Does God need uh, um, my boss to provide for me? No, he does not. But God uses the place where I work to provide money for me. Both killing, an- uh, not animals, killing, ooh, easy, killing bugs and, and also here at the church, God uses both of those entities to provide financially for my family. But God doesn't need those things because God has those things. And sometimes we get caught up into the world's view of, uh, of paying our way into favor with God. If I give enough money, if I give enough time, if I work hard enough, those sorts of things, expecting the return from God for those things... When the reality is, is God says, I don't need your money." Now listen, God God does tell us and teaches us the importance of tithing and of giving and offerings and of helping others and accomplishing the great commission. God, God teaches that clearly in scripture. But God does not desire that financial gift more than he desires your heart gift. Now if you give your heart to God, you're going to give financially. If you give your heart to God, you're going to give of time, those sorts of things. I understand that. But What God is seeking and what God greatly desires is your heart from him because he doesn't need the finances. He he, he needs your heart. He desires your heart. Without your heart, he does not have you. And so that's what his desire is. There's a church in Macedonia, the Bible gives us the example of of how they gave, and it says that they gave abundantly. Uh, Even within their poverty, they gave abundantly, And they gave all that they could afford. And they gave more than they could afford. Now this is talking about, specifically, it's talking about finances in this section. And we'll get to the the point here in just a second. But he says, there's this church in Macedonia that that was full of people who were not rich. As a matter of fact, they were impoverished people. But they gave abundantly. And that means above what they were able to give. Above where they were going to say, hey, if I give this... This is kind of the line, this is the budget line, I can give this amount, but I can't give more than that because if I give more than that it's going to affect my personal being, the food that I get, the clothing that, that I'm able to get, the provision that I need for daily living, but the Bible says they gave above that as well. So you see this church in Macedonia is a giving church, which is wonderful, but it's important to understand that the Bible tells us that they gave of themselves first. Before they gave anything physically, uh, materially, they gave themselves first. God, what do you want from me? And God, whatever you want from me, I will do. And when God pressed upon their heart to give above that which they were able, they obeyed. And they did it. And guess what? God took care of them shouldn't be a surprise to us, but for some it is. Some people don't believe that God will do the same for you. You say, well, I know that the church in Macedonia did it, but that was a different day and age. That was a different time. That was shortly after Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven. That was still with the apostles around teaching and preaching. That was a different time. There were different things going on back then. You had the the gift of tongues back then that we don't have today. You had uh, other things going on supernaturally. I say that you use that word through God. Things going on that that we just don't see happening anymore today. So that that was a long time ago, preacher. Well, I agree it was a long time ago. But as we've been talking about in recent messages, the same God that took care of the church in Macedonia is the same God that will take care of you. If you obey, if you follow, if you do what He asks you to do, if you give of yourself first above anything else. We cannot expect us to give uh, materially to God in hopes that God will eventually uh, uh, let us give ourselves later. We give sometimes materially because we feel guilty of the fact that we have not given ourselves to God. Or maybe a better way to put that is that we are not currently giving ourselves to God. Maybe in the past I have, but today I'm not living in a way where God has my heart. And so I'll give a little bit extra in the offering because I feel guilty because I'm not living for God the way I'm supposed to live. And and the thought process oftentimes is, if I give a little bit extra, God will see that. It'll make up for the fact that I'm actually not living for God in my heart. But that's not how it works. You don't receive the blessings for guilt giving. Nowhere in Scripture will you find God enjoying or blessing or truly receiving guilt giving. It's not in Bible. The Bible clearly states that God loves a cheerful giver. Does a cheerful giver, are you a cheerful giver if you're giving by guilt? No. I've been there where you're sitting in in a service, and the offering plate's coming around, and you think, I guess I have to give. This isn't a message on tithing. But but you've been there, right? The plate's coming around, and you're like really don't want to give. I know I'm supposed to. I know I should. You know, maybe, maybe you've been here too, where you've already given your tithe. Not everybody tithes every week, right? Some people tithe monthly. Some people tithe uh, every paycheck. And so if it's bi-monthly or whatever it is, people tithe in different formats. And, uh, and, and I don't know, still, it's just like when the offering plates come around, even if I've, I've already tithed, and, and I'm just, I'm not, it's, you know, the way that we have it set up this, this week's not the, the week to tithe. And so, and so as it comes around, I think, but I can't just let the offering plate go by. What if somebody sees me not putting anything in the offering plate? And that's not why we give in the offering plate, right? Who cares? If someone else is looking at you, that's their problem, not yours. Uh, but the offering plate comes around, you think, oh, okay, so pull, out, I, you know, pull out your wallet. I don't carry much cash anymore, but I just happen to have cash in my wallet. And, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm visiting a church... Um, you know and 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 I'm not I'm not a regular I'm not a member there or whatever And it's just like well what can I put in and you pull out the one dollar bill and fold it up So nobody can see it's a one and then you see I'm not the only one and then you drop it in and you kind of hope People you know they just see you give and they don't, they don't know what it is and by the time the guys are counting They don't know who put it in so it doesn't matter right so I put something in uh, You know in my younger days it was you drop coins in so it's loud enough for everybody here that you put something in the offering plate I know all the tricks of the trade. So uh, it comes around, and everything's like that, but we get so caught up in what other people think or, or guilt-giving, and we're not actually giving the way that God desires for us to give, and that's materially speaking. But before we even get to that point, we have to get to the point where we have given God our heart, and it's not a one-time thing. It's not where, as a, as a teenager at, at church camp, I, I, I pray and I say, God, my heart is yours. God, whatever you want from me, I will do. God, I'm going to follow you. Listen, that's good and that's important and all those sorts of things, but it's not a one-time thing. Salvation is a one-time thing. God, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. You sent your son to die for me. You offer me the gift of everlasting life. God, I want to receive that gift. God, forgive me and save me. That's a one-time thing. But God, here's my heart. That's not a one-time thing. That is a continual. That is a daily. That is a moment-by-moment decision that I must do. It is a gift that I must give to God on a regular basis. God, here is my heart. God, here is my life. As Romans 12 put it, here is my sacrifice of myself for you. The church in Macedonia is a great example. Go back and read it sometime. But it gives you this idea of, of abundant giving, of, of, of willingly giving. But before they did those things, before they gave materialistically, they gave of themselves first. Before we give God materially, we need to give Him our heart. Number two, God's primary concern is not with our gift. Right? We get into this giving of gifts to God And we lose sight of the fact of what truly, it's not just what we're supposed to do, it's how God views what we're supposed to do. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. I talk a lot about the fact that when we know God, we understand who God is, it helps us to obey. The more we understand God, the more we're going to obey God. Well, the more that we understand how much God cares about having our heart, hopefully the more that will motivate us to actually give God our heart. Look in Matthew 23, verse 23. Christ speaking, okay, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Stop right there. Who are the scribes and Pharisees? These are the religious elite of the time. And by that I mean they study, they are dedicated, they are are better in action than anyone else. I mean when you look at, when you think spiritual people, these are the people you think of. They do everything by the book. Almost everything. By the book. They're following all the rules. They don't break rules. They make sure that you don't break rules. And if you break rules, they make sure you know you broke a rule. All right? These are, if you went to Bible college, if you went to Pensacola, I did not. These are the floor leaders. Uh, If you went to other Bible colleges, then these are just the the pious snotbags. All right? So here we go. Uh, See, I said that for other colleges because maybe some of you were floor leaders. I don't know. But anyways, all right. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Look at this word, hypocrites! Exclamation point, at least in my Bible. Woe unto you, religious elite hypocrites. For ye pray for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a net and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup uh, and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. There's a picture you could understand, right? You clean the outside, but the inside is filthy. There is no better picture for spiritual people, religious people, than this. The outside is clean. You look right. You look good. Everything you do on the outside looks like it's supposed to, but the inside is a filthy, nasty full of germs and mold and crud, and it is disgusting and useless because the outside is clean, but the inside is filthy. He calls them Pharisees or hypocrites twice. He says woe twice. He calls them blind. Ye blind guides in verse 24. Verse 26, thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup, and platter, and that the outside of them may be clean also. Now listen to that verse. He says, first clean the inside. And if you'll clean the inside, then the outside will be clean. We've talked about this when we've talked about the gospel and sharing the gospel, right? Let's let's worry about uh, the, the lost world's heart and their need for salvation before we worry about how they look and how they act and what they watch and what they listen to and what they say. Let's worry about the inside first. Because if the inside gets clean, the outside will be clean as well. Now listen, God is prioritizing here the heart before all else. God's primary concern is the inside, it's the heart. In Isaiah uh, chapter 1, God tells us that He wants us to repent, get our heart right, and then worry about the other stuff. In 1 Samuel 15, God says to obey is better to sacrifice. The, The act of following God with your heart is more important than the actions of religion. I'm so thankful for my upbringing. I'm thankful for the ministry I grew up in. I'm thankful for the churches that I grew up in, for the pastors that I had. Being in the world that I grew up in, I saw many churches, and I'm thankful that that the churches that I grew up in weren't this way, at least to any extreme. But I've seen so many churches that have focused so heavily on the outward and the actions and not enough on the heart. And we do it from such a young age. I got nothing wrong with a kid wearing a suit and tie. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. It's fine. But I've been in churches where they got a couple rows of young boys sitting there in their suits and ties looking the part and thinking, I'm doing everything right. But they back their mom They lie to their dad. They cheat on their homework. But I'm wearing a suit and tie on a Sunday, so I must be doing all right. The preacher comes down and shakes my hand. He says, you look sharp, young man. You're going to be a preacher one day. We focus on that outward appearance. And listen, the outward appearance is important for a number of reasons. We've preached sermons on it before, and we can talk about it another day as well. I'm not saying that we just go and, and you all know I could care less if you wear a suit and tie to church. I almost didn't wear a tie today for what it's worth. <laughs> but, uh, but who cares about that at the end of the day? God's priority is your heart. You can fool a preacher. You can fool the person in the pew beside you or behind you or in front of you. You cannot fool God. And he doesn't care if you're doing vain actions. He doesn't care if you're coming to church vainly. He doesn't care if you're um, uh, uh, serving, i use that word in quotation marks, vainly. He doesn't care about that stuff. You can't fool him. How many people throughout the Old Testament came and burnt a, a burnt offering, a sacrifice, uh, but did it with a completely wrong heart? I can't give you the exact number, but read through Judges. Uh, You can find all these times where people come come to God and they, they do what they're supposed to do, but they do not have their heart given to God. And what happens? They fall right back into sin. They go right back into that deadly cycle. And we always talk about that cycle in Judges, but guess what? That cycle carries over to the New Testament. And that cycle carries over to the day. God, I did wrong. God, forgive me. And God says He's faithful and just to do it. If you truly desire forgiveness, God will forgive you. But how many people go through the actions and then are immediately right back in to the sin? How many people go through the actions and are in the sin even within the actions? You see, we cannot focus on the outward actions of ourselves, we need to focus on the inward spirit because God prioritizes the heart above all else. When we look at uh, Luke chapter, we won't go there, Luke 21, there's the story of, uh, of two different uh, givers. They're giving uh, tithes, and the one gave a lot, and the one gave a very small little mite. And, and Christ says, who, who gave the most? It was the woman who gave one small little mite. Because she gave it sacrificially, it was going to affect her in giving it. And God didn't look at the, the amount of money placed in the offering plate. It wasn't an offering plate, but you get the idea. He looked at the heart behind the giving. And it wasn't that she gave 100% of the finances that she had. It was that she gave 100% of her heart. And she said, God is worthy of this, so I'm going to give it to Him. Because I want everything that I do to show forth the worthiness of God. A lot of times, though, as Christians, we are guilty of, of, of not doing that. We are guilty of saying, I've got to hold a little bit back for me. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's energy, it doesn't matter. We're guilty of saying, I'm going to hold a little bit back for me because, we wouldn't say this, but it's because I'm worthy of it. The truth is, is I'm not worthy of anything. But every good gift cometh from above. Everything that I have is from God. And I'm going to to trust God to take that good gift and make it a perfect gift, a fulfilled gift, a satisfying gift, a, a completed gift. I'm going to trust God with that. So I'm just going to give God my heart and let God do the rest because that's God's priority. That's what God desires. Thirdly and lastly this morning, I want us to look at the reason why we should give our heart to God. The reason why we should give our heart to God. Number one, it is, uh, we've kind of already talked about consider who He is. Consider who God is. God loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. You, me, part of that. That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. Christ died for you. Same people. He's our Savior. Why should I give my heart to God? Well, God loves me. Why should I give my heart to God? Because not only does God love me, He sent His Son to die for me. And if I've received the gift of of salvation, that seems like a pretty good reason to give my heart to God. He gave his life for me. You remember, Jesus, when he came to this earth, (laughs) think, think about this for a minute. What he endured. The Bible talks about this in the Old Testament prophecy and in the New Testament, about what Christ endured to die for me. It's not just the death, although that is by far the most grueling aspect of it. He was born into a family of low means. All right? So he grew up in a carpenter's home, he, more than likely, from everything we understand and from, from just reading into it, helped Joseph with carpentry stuff, I'm sure, as a, as a child. So he worked, and he had to go through, through the same child experiences you had to go through. He was educated to some degree, so he had to go to school, uh, or however they did it back then. Uh, he had to work a little bit as well. Then think about once he gets into his ministry. First of all, he's traveling all the time. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a fifth wheel. He doesn't have a motor home. doesn't have a van. He's walking everywhere he's going. Now, back then, may not be as big a deal. If I had to walk to work every day, first of all, I would get up really early. It would take me forever to get there. Uh, by the time I got there, I would... Never mind. We won't get into that. But the point is... He had to walk, he had to travel. Think about who he was traveling with. Twelve guys who fought amongst themselves all the time. Right? We hear multiple stories of the disciples arguing about who was the best, who was the worst. We have guys who doubt, we have guys who complain, we have guys who are worried about the finances, we got guys uh, who are worried about the crowds, who are worried about the security we probably got guys who walk slower than others, guys who walk faster than others. We probably got the "Are we there yet?" We probably got the "We took a wrong turn." No, we didn't. Yes, we did. No, we didn't. If we go this way, it'll be faster. I know a shortcut. All these sorts of things. Just it's got to be there. That's natural. And then he's got these guys who are sitting there and they questioning him, not always asking for wisdom, but thinking, "Jesus, why would you do that?" That doesn't make any sense. Why are we going this way? Why are we talking to this person? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Listen, if you're a parent, you know it doesn't take long that you're like, enough already. Hence the reason Jesus went down into the boat and went to sleep. (laughs) I don't want to listen to these guys anymore. Jesus' life was not a, a life of luxury, of comfort, and he did it all knowing what was to come. Knowing the beating that he would take. Knowing the ridicule that he would take. Knowing the shame that would be put upon him. He did it anyways. And whether or not you believe me doesn't matter because the Bible tells me he did it thinking about me. And He did it thinking about you. Why should you give your heart to to Christ? I don't think there's a better reason because of what He's done for you. We owe Him everything, don't we? Romans 12 tells us that that we should be a living sacrifice. It is the uh, reasonable service. It's the thing that makes the most sense. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, The love of Christ constraineth us. It just makes sense because of what God has done for you. Because God loves you, do you love God? Are you grateful for what God has done for you? This is the question that I ask the people who've who've went away from God. Christians who've walked away from God, who are not living, not obedient to God anymore. I go back to this simple question because in most cases, the reason why Christians go away from God is because of other Christians. I would say 99% of the time, it's as simple as, I'm just tired of hypocrites. I'm tired of people claiming they love God and treating me like dirt. I'm tired of people claiming they love God and treating other people like dirt. I'm tired of people being fake and being phony and all these sorts of things. And I can understand that. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I can understand that. But it's not about them. The love of Christ constrains us. God loves you. Do you love Him? Are you able to look and be grateful for what God has done for you? It's not about what the other people in the church have done for you, because they're flawed people. Pastor's flawed. I know you know that. That's no surprise to you. I'm flawed. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to say something that you don't like. Or I'm not going to say something that you think I should have said. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to be as compassionate as you want me to be. Or I'm going to be too compassionate. One of the ways. It doesn't matter. It's going to go one way or the other, right? Everybody's different. Everybody wants something different. At the end of the day, you're going to look at me and you're going to say, you know what, that pastor, Vince, he's, you know, he tries, but, you know. He ain't anywhere close. It's not about what I do for you. It's about what God's done for you. If you run from God, if you, if you, choose, if you choose not to obey God, I, there's so many people today, I saw it just this week on social media, someone says, yes, I'm a Christian, but no, I don't go to church. And their reasoning behind it was because the church is flawed. Okay the church is flawed i agree with you is god flawed does god desire for you to go to church he does how often does god desire for you to, go to church i could argue for our church sunday morning sunday afternoon wednesday night but at the end of the day it's about what god desires for you and i know at the very least at the very least god desires for you to go to church god desires for you to edify others god desires for you to love your neighbor love your enemies God desires for you to love the brethren. God desires for you to 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 give. God desires for you to uh, to do what He's told you to do in His Word. It's not about everybody else. It's about God. Let the love of Christ constrain you. Do you love God? Are you grateful for God's love for you? If you are, then you should give your heart to Him. It really is that simple. Every Christian should live in absolute surrender, right? Romans 12 says a living sacrifice. That is putting yourself on the altar. It is a killing of self and a giving over to being filled with God's Spirit and allowing Him to lead and direct your life where He wants you to go. You can look all throughout the history of any nation and you can find patriots. And you can find people who were surrendered to the cause of their country. In America, we have several, but two people who have uh, given a a statement that has been remembered throughout time. Nathan Hale said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. He said, if I could, could lose millions of lives for the sake of my country, I would do it. Only regret is that I can only give my life one time for my country. Patrick Henry demanded, give me liberty or give me death. He had a desire for his country to be free. And he stood at death's door and he said, if you're not going to give me liberty, then I'll choose death. And I will fight to the end for it, for that liberty that I desire. Okay. Why are people so willing to give of themselves for their country? What has their country given to them? Think about that for a second. You say, well, I live in a free country. Good. Did your country give you that? Now listen, In some, some degrees, yes. but even in the freest country of all, (laughs) there are things that are hindrances. You can be willing to give your life for your country, and I applaud patriots for doing so. But your country has done nothing for you compared to what God has done for you. And we should have people, no, we should have every single Christian, willing to say, I only regret that I have but one life to give to my God because God has given His life for me. God's desire before anything else is for your heart. He wants you to give yourself over to Him. Look throughout Scripture. Find the examples of the people who did just that. And see what God did for them. Now listen, we don't give because of what God's going to give us. We shouldn't. That shouldn't be our heart. We should give because God has given so much to us and it is the reasonable thing to do. The other people in any church you go to, Everybody else around you, if you give your heart to them, at some point, it's, you're not going to get anything in return. Some are better than others, and some are—I are, love people better than others, and those sorts of things. I get that. But at the end of the day, at some point, they're going to fail you. God says, give your heart to me, to God. That's the cleaning of the inside of the cup and the platter. And he said, I'll take care of everything else. It will clean the outside, not only in your actions, but, but with what you're doing for, towards others and, and the results that you get as a result of that. Everything works together to them that love God for good, to them that love God. Those that give, give their hearts to God, those that give their, their, their lives to God, those that give on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, they give their heart to God. All of it works together for good. That's the only way that it works for good. I would like to think we can all understand the simplicity of this message this morning, that we need to give our hearts to God, and that the best reason we have to give it to God is because of what God's given to me. But it still comes down to you making that decision that I'm going to give my heart to God In five minutes, I could have told you, you need to give your heart to God because God's given everything to you, right? That's less than five minutes. That's actually could have been a really fast sermon. We know that. What are you going to do with the knowledge that you have? Are you willing to give today and tomorrow and the next day? Are you willing to give your heart to God? Lord, I pray for your help this morning. Nothing new has been presented. God, nothing nothing today that has been said has been glass-shattering, mind-blowing. Lord, we know we're supposed to do this. And I believe we know why we're supposed to do this. God, today I pray that you would impact our lives. And you would convict our souls of the need to give our hearts to you. Lord, that we would let go of the hurt or let go of the opinions of others, let go of the, uh, uh, the outward fakeness of our lives. And Lord, from the inside out, we would be what you want us to be. So, Lord, today, forgive where forgiveness is needed. Strengthen where strength is needed. Refresh where refreshment is needed. And, Lord, help us to understand and then to give our hearts to you. Lord, that we can be everything you desire for us to be individually. I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand with me?